Well, welcome to Zion, everybody. It is good to see you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say hello? If, you, if, they, if they accept, you can give them a hug. good to see you today. All the people here are people who have foregone the World Cup today. I'm proud of you. This is, this is becoming uh, like the Super Bowl day, but at least they know to do it in the afternoon so everybody can go to church first. <laughs> but yeah, it's good to see everybody today. Um, we, my name is Justin. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the pastor here. Come say hi to me after church. We'd love to meet you if, if we have not met or if this is your first time with us today. Uh, we are in a series called On Mission. It has been such a, a great series. We're going through this series for the summer. Uh, last week, we talked about this topic, Eating with Sinners, and it is uh, something that the Pharisees coined uh, constantly they accuse him and get mad at him for eating with people he wasn't supposed to eat with. Now we're fast forwarding some. We're in Acts chapter 11 today and the title is Eating with Gentiles. Uh, because the church, Jesus gets taken up into heaven. He sends his Holy Spirit down. He sends them out to go preach the good news that we have been talking about. This mission that he gives them. And in doing so, he sends them to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Um, but the, the disciples, the Christians, were really uh, didn't take to the ends of the earth too literally until really today. I love today because we talk about one of the most important moments in history outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This may be the second most important time in history, especially in the church, because something absolutely fantastic happens. We see the conversion of the first Gentiles. If you don't know what a Gentile is, most of us here would be considered Gentiles, unless you have some Jewish blood in you and you follow Jewish practices. Uh, so the, the Jews classified everything in two categories. Everybody was in two categories. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. End of story. Uh, and so today we talk about how the gospel came to the first Gentiles. It's an incredible story. And really, the whole story is in chapter 10 in Acts, but we are going to read Peter's reaccount of what happened in chapter 11, uh, because I take about half my time reading the entire account in chapter 10. But we're still going to go through it and look at what happened and experience it through the lens of Peter as he's explaining what happened. So we're going to read in Acts chapter 11, verse 1. You can follow along on the screen here, and we're going to read to verse 18. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? 
But Peter began and explained it to them in order. So he recounts the story of what happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered into my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go to them making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and were entered, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said... John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was that, in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified or praised God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also has God. Also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. So up until this point in church history, there were really two types of believers. There were people who were circumcised and there were people who were of the uncircumcised. If you don't know what that means, that's another day. I'm not going to explain it to you today. So really, though, because they had seen... The, the apostles had preached and they'd seen Samaritans come to the faith, uh, which was uneasy for them. They, they, you know, Samaritans and uh, Jewish people didn't always get along. They, they saw themselves as uh, a lot of times different religions, but Samaritans still practiced the practice of circumcision. So they let them in. Okay, you're, you're part of us. They saw what was called proselytes, which were people who followed the faith got circumcised, but weren't necessarily of Jewish tradition. They saw those people, like the Ethiopian in Acts. He had got and said, but okay, these, these people are circumcised, so they're still of our tribe. But now, here we see that Peter had gone and preached and hung out with and ate with the uncircumcised. And what happens? The entire house receives salvation and gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know what's funny is you know the church hasn't changed much because what happened, we see in verse 11, it says, Now the apostles and the brothers were throughout, who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. Uh, word spread quickly. Have you ever been in church long enough? You know that something happens, word spreads quickly. Nobody knows how to keep their mouth shut about nothing. <laughs> And so everybody starts, oh, yo, did you hear what happened? Peter went and hung out with some uncircumcised folk. 
Can you believe this dude? What is he thinking? We, we're not allowed to hang out with these guys. You, you hear the Holy Spirit fell on them? They, they, Peter's bringing them into the, into the way? What, what is happening? This guy is off his rocker. He's going crazy. And so very similar to the Pharisees that we read last week, the church at this point makes the same argument to Peter. They, they make an objection. He is criticized. They said that Jesus, he eats and drinks with sinners. And now they say to him, you went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? Don't you know what this means, that you are condoning them? You are, you are, you are saying you are part of them? You are entering into fellowship with them? That, that ruins you, Peter. Don't you get that? We're not supposed to be with them, Peter. Don't you understand that? And so they make this objection. They say, we are the circumcised people. Look, we let the Samaritans in. That, that, was, that was tough. We let some other people in. You know, that was tough. But at least they held to the tradition of Abraham that they, they set themselves apart through circumcision. At least... They, they, they know our traditions and they know our law codes and they know what they have to practice. At least they follow the, the festivals and, and we have some common ground in history. At, at least, you know, we, we can all say we are of this one tribe, even though it's a larger tribe than we wanted, but we can all say we are of this one tribe. Going to the Gentiles at this point was unthinkable. It was not something that anybody saw coming, but we... What we'll see is, as Peter retells his story, how God's hand is on this. So here is Peter eating with them, just like Jesus ate with Levi, the sinner and the tax collector. And I hope we see a theme here. What it would look like to eat with people that would be the unthinkable. This is a theme that we constantly see throughout Jesus' life. This is a theme that we are now seeing in the post-Jesus when he resurrects and ascends into the descension of the Holy Spirit. And this, this just brings me a question, a kind of side note that we can ask ourselves. Who is the unthinkable that we can eat with? Who are the, the people that are ostracized in the world that when we look at them, other people would look at us and say, why are you eating with that person? Why are you hanging out with that person? Don't you know that person is unclean? Don't you know that person is dirty? Don't you know that we're not supposed to affiliate ourselves with that person or those people? You know, a, a theme of Christianity is really a theme of following Jesus' practice of eating and drinking with people who others think that we should not. But Peter then explains it to them, and he explains it in order. And he says, first, in, in verses 4 to 10, he talks about this vision that he gets from God. You know, Peter is, he's waiting to eat. He goes up to the upper room, and he begins to pray on the roof, and he he begins to pray, and while he's praying, he's waiting for some food. You know, it's, a, it's another good practice that you can try. You know, well, instead of being hangry all the time, just try praying for a little while. Maybe that will help. And so Peter is praying, and what happens? He, he sees a, a vision. God 
gives him a vision. It says he falls into a trance and he sees a vision. And God sends a sheet down. I think of, I kind of see like a, a, almost like a flying carpet. And on top of the carpet that's descending are all these different animals. Birds, whatever, all these different animals. And God says to Peter, get up and go and eat. Now, if you, we went through Deuteronomy, so you may remember some of this, but if you know about the Old Testament, you know about Jewish traditions, they had very specific laws about food. If, you know, if you know any Jewish people, you know there are some foods that they cannot eat, they cannot eat, or they have special sections in the grocery store, because these are sections that they, they are kosher, they are allowed to eat. This type of food. We have kosher supermarkets, you know, that these are traditional foods that Jewish people can eat. And so Peter looks at the food and he's like, God, that's not kosher. I'm sorry, but this is in the wrong aisle of the supermarket. This does not have that kosher, kosher stamp on it. So I cannot put that in my mouth. I can't make that. You know this, God. What are you trying? Are you trying to test me right now? What are you trying to say? So Peter's response to God telling him to go and eat is he says, no way. I'm not doing it. I have never had an unclean thing touch my mouth. Can you, what are you thinking? But God says, yes. He says, what God has made clean, do not call common. I love this. See, God makes this statement to Peter. He says, listen, you may have learned that this is unclean. This may have been the way that we have done it before, but guess what? All the things that were uncommon, all the things that were unclean, I am now declaring them clean. And he says to Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. Hint, this is the good news. God was saying that yes, this was unclean, but guess what? I have washed it. I have cleaned it. I have cleansed it. And what used to be not good, what used to be unclean, what used to you cannot have any affiliation with, what used to you can never put in your mouth, what you can never touch before, I am now saying that it has been cleaned. It has been washed. See, something about this series, the more we learn about Jesus' interactions with other people, the more we learn about the apostles and how they start to understand the, the practice of the Great Commission of going into all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How that practically plays out is we get to see hints of the good news everywhere in that. And this is part of the good news that what people have called unclean, God has made clean. And so God gives this directive, verses 11 and 12. He says, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Then these six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. So Peter has this vision, right? Three times the sheet comes down. He says, no way, God, no way, God, no way, God. And then God says, listen, you got to stop that. What I have made clean, do not call common. And so then Peter, he, he comes out of this trance. He's done with this vision. And then as soon as he is done with this vision, some three dudes knock on the door. 
Answer the door, what's up? You don't answer your door like that, what's up? I don't know if they had the little peephole, you know, that they're looking through, like, somebody trying to sell me something right now. That doesn't really happen anymore. So Peter finishes his vision. Three men show up at the house, three Gentiles, asking him. They say, we've been told to come. You need to come with us to another Gentile's house. But God tells Peter this in his directive. He says, there's going to be some people that come. Now, you need to go with them, and you cannot make any distinction. Make no distinction. All right, because we are human. Some people are a little worse at this than others, myself included, at being judgmental, right? We look at somebody, and based off of how they act, look at their appearance, we look at what we perceive their lifestyle is, and we start to make distinctions. We start to make judgments about people. You know, the, the church has been well known for this. And right now, these Gentile people are coming, people that were unclean, that you weren't allowed to associate with. And if you did, you had to go through rituals. You had to go through sacrifices. You had to go through the cleanse laws and get back to a clean state again if you ever did associate or eat these things. And so God says to Peter, these, these three men are going to come. Make no distinction. Don't prejudge them. Don't look at them for what you think they are. Don't, don't, don't make decisions because of what you thought you should make decisions on. But make no distinction. You know, Scripture says that God is no respecter of persons. In James it says not to show any partiality towards people. In every way, God looks at us. As, as not as how humans look at us. Where when humans look at us, a lot of times they see our past. They see our, our record. You know, when you got to get for a job, what happens? They do background checks on you. They want to know your record. They want to know your past. Why? So that they can make distinctions. You know, in, in our friendships, in our family, we make distinctions. Oh, who makes more money than the other person? Who has a, a better job? Who did better in school? Who has a better GPA? We make distinctions against one another. And based off of that, we figure out who am I going to relate with? You know, if you look at the self-help books today, if you look at the knowledge in the world, what do they say? If you want to make it somewhere, surround yourself with people that are making it. There is no room for people that can weigh you down because we are told to make distinctions at every level in our life. We are told to judge people and based off of our judgments decide whether we will eat with them, whether we will drink with them, whether we will be friends with them or not. And so when these three people came, Peter thought he would have been doing something very godly by saying, I'm not going with you. But God makes a very clear directive for him. Go with them. Don't make a distinction, just go. And so what Peter didn't know is that Cornelius, the guy he was going to, also had a vision. Read in 13 and 14, it says, and he told us, Cornelius, how he had seen the angel stand at his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So an angel comes. An angel 
literally means a messenger. So a messenger from God comes, shows up to him and tells him where Peter is going to be, what city Peter is in, what the name of the person that he needs to go to, where he is staying. And he says, go to this city, go to this house and go to this person and tell them they have to come to your house. Tell them you have to bring him. So Cornelius says, okay, he sends two soldiers. This is a, a centurion in the Roman army. He sends two soldiers and one of his servants. The angel tells this centurion, this Roman commander, that the message that this person is going to bring him is going to bring salvation to him and his household. What I love about this is that he doesn't say, the messenger doesn't say Peter is going to bring salvation. The messenger says that Peter has a message that's going to bring salvation. See, a lot of times we look at people and we say they have great power. They have great abilities. They have great wisdom. And because of them, I got saved. Or I can't do it because this person is greater than me. They can do it. But what we have to understand, it is, it is not people that bring salvation to other people. It is the message of the gospel that brings salvation. So when the messenger comes to Cornelius and he says, listen, go get Peter. He wasn't getting Peter because Peter was great and powerful, but Peter had a message that was great and powerful. Peter understood there was good news for this family that was great and powerful, that was going to transform their life, change their hearts, and change who they were. We cannot and are not people's saviors. We have to realize that. We have a message that brings salvation, but we are not people's saviors. There is a savior for that. So Peter gets there, and he begins to preach, and he preaches one of the best gospel messages. I absolutely love it. And we read his sermon in chapter 10, and it's, it's just such a simple gospel presentation. He goes, all of you guys have heard about Jesus, right? Yeah, you've, you've heard about, you've, you're living in Israel. That means you've heard about him before. You, this guy was crucified. There was a big uproar. He had a lot of crowds. Like, you've heard about what happened. He raised, getting a lot of people upset about this. Okay, good. We're on the same playing field. We've heard about Jesus. Guess what? This Jesus... He shows no partiality. I love this about Peter. He just, he gets a word from God and he's already preaching it in his sermon. The next, like, few days later, he's like, guess what? I just learned this about God and I'm telling you now. This is the reason why I'm here. Doesn't matter that you're a Gentile. Doesn't matter that you're a Jew. God shows no partiality. And then Peter says, I'm just going to tell you what I saw. He, he testifies about Jesus. And he says, I was there when Jesus healed people. I was there when Jesus brought salvation. I was there when the cripple was healed or the blind person was healed. I was there. This is, this is the things that I saw. This is my story. This is my testimony to the goodness of God. And what did he do? He says, Jesus healed. He says, Jesus died. Jesus rose. And Jesus is coming back to judge. Simple, simple, simple gospel presentation. And then at the end, he closes his sermon and he says, If you believe in Jesus, you will receive forgiveness of sins. If you believe in Jesus, you will receive forgiveness of sins. He didn't say, if you get circumcised now, you will 
receive forgiveness of sins. He says if you live a good life now, you will receive forgiveness of sins. He says if you are perfect, you will receive. No, he says if you believe in Jesus, in his perfection, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, his coming judgment, if you believe in him, you will receive forgiveness of sins. Your, your history of sinfulness is wiped out. Something very cool happens when he's saying this, though. Imagine this. Like, he, he, he's preaching. You know, Peter's doing his thing. He's sharing the gospel. And then in verse 15, it says, Peter says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. Man, if you've ever just been praying for somebody or been worshiping or been sharing the gospel for somebody with somebody and the Holy Spirit falls... It is an incredible thing to experience. And a lot of scholars, what they call this is they call this the second Pentecost. Because what happens is in Acts 2, we read about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and the, 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 the fire of God is seen on their head and they begin to speak in other languages, languages that they never learned. And all these people from the surrounding area saying, man, I'm hearing God in my own language. They, they, they were testifying to the glory of God. So what happens is, as Peter is speaking, the same Holy Spirit that fell on the Jewish believers falls on them. He's not even doing an altar call. He's not laying hands on anybody. He's not saying receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's just preaching the gospel, and the power of God comes and falls on them, and they begin to get filled with the Holy Spirit in the middle of his sermon. And then as this is happening, Peter remembers a promise of God that Jesus says. In verse 16, he says, And I remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said exactly this would happen. And Peter is now marveling at what, is, what God is doing, and which brings Peter to his final statement, which he says in the end of his story in verse 17, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, the Jews, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So the circumcision party, they had leveled this objection in the beginning. You ate and you hung out with these uncircumcised men. Peter tells his story. And if we remember last week, the Pharisees, they had their first objection and Jesus answers them. But then they have their second objection and Jesus answers them. They never were converted in their hearts to what Jesus said. Instead, they just kept on objecting and they hardened their hearts towards him. But what I love that has changed, and maybe some of these same people, Pharisees were believers at this point. The, the, the scribes were believers at this point. There are a lot of Jewish people that were believers at this point. They objected in the past, but after their first objection, it says this in verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent. They fell silent. You know, literally that translation there of they fell silent means they abandoned their objections. They abandoned their objections. And then after they fell silent, after they abandoned their objections, they heard what the work of the Lord was doing. They glorified God, or they praised God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Can you imagine that celebration? Can you imagine? 
At this moment in history, what was opening up in their hearts and in their minds, they were realizing and they glorified and they praised God at this time because now what they had thought was only for a small portion, a very small percentage of people on the earth, they realized was open now to millions of people all around the earth that it wasn't just their people, it wasn't just their small country, their small part of the world, but really the Holy Spirit was looking to be poured out on all people. Everyone could receive the gospel and repentance of their sin that leads to life. And the truth of this moment is this, though. The church still has a hard time accepting Gentiles. This is the truth. The truth of the moment is that many times we still have a hard time and we object to hanging out and eating with certain people and bringing the gospel to other people. Why is this? The same reason it was back then, because prejudice and traditions run deep. It is just the truth of human nature. We are conditioned from a young age to have the other in our life, and we have prejudice. We have distinctions against people. And if we look at the church back then and think, man, those, you know, those racist bums didn't want Gentiles in. <laughs> Can't believe them. You know, before we start, we got to understand when we're reading scripture, instead of looking at ourselves as the hero in the scripture, we really have to start identifying ourselves with the sinners in the story. And the, 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 the sinful thought in this story was, what are you told? Why did you go and eat with these people? And as a church, we have to realize, instead of thinking that we would never do that, realize that we're doing it today. We see this all throughout the New Testament. Fights constantly keep breaking out in the church. I mean, the first church council has to deal with this in the book of Acts. And we read about it in epistle after epistle that there constantly is fights breaking out over these issues of prejudice and distinction in the church. Whether it's for rich people versus poor people or it's for Gentile versus Jew or, or Greek and unlearned barbarian or slave and master. Right? There are things that keep breaking out. Where they are realizing, man, we had a lot more prejudice than we thought. We have a lot more to work on than we understood. And even though the Lord declared at this point not to call anything unclean that he is called clean, that didn't mean from that moment on that the church acted this way. They had a long road of figuring out what it meant to let Gentiles into the church. And there is still a long road of the church today in America figuring out what it means to eat and to hang out with people that we don't think deserves our presence. I think of a few things that the church can work on in general, you know, uh, one thing I remember is with our, in, in, in Bay Ridge, we have an uh, incredible Muslim population in our neighborhood, and growing up in Bay Ridge, and when 9-11 happened, uh, I remember vividly, 
You know, that day, as any New Yorker would remember that day, most Americans remember what they were doing that day. I remember what I was doing that day. And the truth of that is many times, that day and since that day, Americanism has trumped Christianity in our lives and in how we treat Muslim people. And what we do is we look at what happened because of radical Islamists and what they did that day, and we say, well... Islam is an enemy of our nation, so Islam is an enemy of me. And we don't look first at our Christianity and say, no, we love them. They're our neighbor. We don't have prejudice again. We eat with them. We hang out with them. My dad did something that week that I will never forget uh, because it was, I, I will admit, I had hatred in my heart. You know, I was young. Uh, God still had a lot of work to do and still has a lot of work to do in me. And... Everybody was saying incredibly awful, mean things, and I was jumping on that bandwagon. And then my dad had come home one day and you know, asked him where he was, and he had just went to meet with the imam at the mosque that's right uh, next to the Alpine. And I just, it's like, why did you do that? Why'd you go with the enemy? Why, why would you hang out with them? And my dad said, you know, he taught me a lesson that day. He said, Justin, today, they're, this week, for a long time, they're going to be experiencing a lot of hate. They're going to be experiencing a lot of prejudice. They're going to be experiencing a lot of discrimination, a lot of racism. And it's our job as Christians to tell them that first and foremost, we see them as human beings and that we love them because they're our neighbor. And he prayed with the iman. He hugged him. They cried together. And it was an incredible moment that still chokes me up today because I think, Man, what would it be like if the church truly understood this and truly got this, that, man, that we, we are not American first, we're not whatever our nationality, our ethnicity is first, but we're Christian, and Christianity is to love our enemies, to love our neighbors. And I love the example that my dad left me that day because it was something that really imprinted on my heart, that I think about. What an incredible example of Christianity. What an incredible example of what it means to truly have no distinction, to truly be able to sit and eat and hang out with somebody when other people would have looked at that and said, what is wrong with you? Why would you do that? Don't you know who they are? Don't you know what they have done? But being able to say that God makes no distinction, that we are to share meals with everyone and not say, look, this person is Muslim or this person is from this country or this person is this color or this person is from here. But to sit down and to eat and to love them because we are first Christian. Because that is who God calls us to literally sit down and eat with and love. I think of the LGBTQ community and what a poor job the church has done in loving our fellow human beings and saying, I will sit with you, I will eat with you, I will hang out with you. But all we see across the media is what the church hating and coming against this community. And, and there are people that if you hang out with them, that they will ostracize you in the church because, oh, you have a friend that is in that community and so I can't hang out with you anymore. I think, how sad is that as a church that we are forgetting the very thing that Jesus said not to do? To make no distinction. To have no prejudice. To not care what tribe or nation or whatever it is that 
You say that you are, but to go to all of the earth and spread the gospel. That the same thing that the Pharisees did, that we hate on them, we do the same things today as a church. And we say, you shouldn't be hanging out with that one. You shouldn't be hanging out with this one because they are not what we want. Well, guess what? That is not the truth because God makes no distinction. We've taken our political beliefs and we've interjected it as our Christian beliefs. And if you are liberal and you believe one way and I'm conservative, then I can't have a civil conversation with you. I can't sit down with you and talk in a normal fashion. I can't love you because what you believe is something I can't agree with. And we've become a divided church because we have decided to make distinctions over things that should not be priorities in our lives as Christians. We have decided to say I am a liberal Christian, or am I, I am a conservative Christian, or I am a Democrat Christian, I am a Republican Christian. Drop all that nonsense. We have the same priorities, the same values. We may think it through differently in how it applies to political action and how it applies to Supreme Court decisions and who we vote for as president. But guess what? That doesn't mean that I can't sit with you and talk with you and love you and share meals with you and hang out with you. That doesn't mean that we can't love each other. Because when we are at a place where we can't even talk and sit and eat with each other, then we come to a place of walking away from the gospel and we are making distinctions. And we are saying, Jesus' blood was shed for me, but not for that person. And we are putting up barriers to people walking in and receiving eternal life and eternal joy to be in the presence of Jesus for all of eternity when we do that. So my prayer as a church today is that we hear what God said in Romans chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you are wondering, who would I be uneasy to talk to? A good starting place is if anything I mentioned made you a little bit uneasy. Those are the people that would make you uneasy to talk with. If you said, I don't know if Justin's going a little off with this one. Well, then maybe that's the person you need to go share a meal with and hear their story. Hang out with them. Talk with them. Say, you're human just like I. How can I love you? How can I treat you better? How can I learn about your life? It's very easy to say the Pharisees did one thing and that's archaic, but we don't see that in our life. And that's a lie of the enemy that he's using to blind you. We can all begin to probe our hearts and ask, God, who is it that I feel uneasy hanging out with? We may be ashamed of admitting to ourselves who that person is. But we have to come to that realization of who that is. And then go and grab a meal with them, eat with them. Show them that once I was blind, but now I see. That God loves you 
just as much as he loves me. I just made that up, sorry. (laughs) Sorry, it's taking a while to mentally get over that one. The truth is, is that if we search deep enough and we're honest enough, we will find prejudice in our heart. And then we know, God, as a practical step, this is someone you need to go share a meal with. There are people in my life that I have realized, man, I, I thought I knew you and I made judgments about your lifestyle, made judgments about your life. And the sign of God changing my heart was me sitting down buying them lunch or buying them dinner, buying them coffee, whatever it was, and just asking them, can you share your story with me? Can you share your story? Maybe it's a story of oppression. Maybe it's a, a, a story that, a heartbreaking story of, of judgment from childhood to adulthood. Not making any suggestions, not telling them what they should do, but just asking questions. Saying, do you mind sharing your life with me? And I'm telling you, that has blooms some of the most beautiful relationships in my life. And I believe the church needs to do that more so that the idea of what media is saying about us, the idea of what politics is saying about us can be a narrative that we can finally say is untrue. But imagine if just in this place we began to have meals with people that were other or different or we made distinctions with and said, man, I'm sorry for how I thought about you. I love you. I'm going to be an attentive listener to who you are in your story. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that what you have called clean, no one can call unclean. And we worship you for that. We exalt you for that because none of us would be here if you did not say that. Father, I thank you for cleansing and washing us, God, and opening up a way for us to receive eternal life. I pray, God, that we would be people that make no distinction and that any forms of prejudice that lie in our hearts, that you would root it out you would uproot it from us and that it'd be thrown into the fire and that we would be a people who truly understand that to love our God is to love our neighbor all people surrounding us in Jesus name worthy of every song we could ever sing
Yeah. 